Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about something that's uh, maybe not the sexiest topic in the world, uh, but it's something that we all could use a lot more of, and that is patience. And uh, the title for today's sermon is Wait Well, because we're all waiting, but it's really about how we wait that matters. And our scripture for today is James 5, verses 7 through 12, and it reads, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so you, that you will not, be, not sin and be condemned. You may be seated. So in these five verses, the words endure, wait, and patient exist eight times. And really in four of the verses, we have wait, patient, and endure four times. I mean, eight times. So it's really clear what James is talking about here, which is how do we wait well? But if we look at our modern day culture, is this something that we value? Patience. I mean, most of us would like to think that we're patient, but a lot of us struggle with it. Even if outwardly you look patient, sometimes internally there's a lot of impatience. I know just this uh, past Wednesday, um, I was going out to lunch with one of the other pastors, a pastor at Velocity Church, and I went out to my car and I had a flat tire. I look at the rear tire and it doesn't have a nail in it. It looks like a railroad spike. And, and, you know, for, I mean, it could have been really, really bad. So I looked at it, and I was like, okay, Pastor Dean, you're going to have to drive. So we drove over to Chipotle. I came back and uh, called AAA. They towed me to a local tire shop. And the whole time, he's going, man, how are you so cool and calm? But he didn't know there was something inside of me that was going on. On the outside, it looked okay, but on the inside, there was a lot going on. So I go to the tire place, and they're like, we'll have you done this afternoon, no problem. But come to find out, they don't have the tire there. So they give me a call. We'll have you done in the morning. Okay, that doesn't disrupt my plans. I'm good. 12 o'clock comes around, 1230. I'm trying to be patient, right? I'm not going to call them at 10 o'clock in the morning and be like, are you done? 1230, I call them and they're like, the tire hasn't come in yet. And I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of stuff going through my mind and a lot of things in my heart that probably weren't very kind and patient. And uh, they finally got me done at five o'clock. And, and I didn't know if any of that kind of, if he was able to hear any of that. Uh, 
So I go to the tire shop and I apologize to the guy. And he was wondering, why are you apologizing to me? Well, all that shows is I had enough self-control not to let the impatience out. But I was being very impatient. And sometimes our impatience looks like that. Other times it's like, uh, and I love my wife dearly, so I'm going to pick on her. So if she's on her electronics, and if something isn't working fast enough, instead of waiting, she does this. Does anybody else do that? Okay. And what you do when you do that is what? It just makes everything bog down, and you lock it up, and then you're going, what's wrong with this stupid thing? But she's not outside of the norm. Studies say this. If someone goes to a video that they want to watch, this is something they want to watch. If it takes more than two seconds to load, half of them won't even wait. If it takes 10 seconds, one in five people will wait. Four out of five people will not watch the video. And that's people that are trying to watch something they want to watch. So it's very normal in our society to be impatient. Very normal. So, but why is it so hard for us to be patient? Well, the first reason is this. And we've got, and some of you guys got kids in here, so you guys will relate to it very easily. Our selfish, sinful nature. All you have to do is look at a toddler or a teenager. <laughs> and you can see that they don't want to wait for anything. They want what they want when they want it. And to be honest, when we don't teach our kids to wait and to be patient, they just become adults that don't want to wait. Okay, so that's the first reason why we don't like to wait. But the second reason is this. We are all being discipled, programmed by culture to be impatient. To be impatient. Why? Because corporations have figured out how to monetize impatience. Good case in point is this. Someone wants to lose some weight, right? They got all sorts of ways that you can lose weight. I'm going to help you lose weight, and in three months, you'll be where you need to be. And, you know, it's just going to cost you $500 a month. And these promises come out of how you get healthy quick, how you get rich quick, how you get happy quick, and none of it works. It's all short-lived. See, when I was growing up, and I, I see some some folks that are just as old as I am, Steve Bell. Um, (laughs) When I was growing up, it was one of those things where if you were watching a TV show, right, you watched that TV show and they always found the right way to end it. So you were like, oh my gosh, I can't. And you had to do what to watch it? You had to wait a week. (laughs) And it was like, man, this is hard. and And then when you went to the theaters, if it was a good movie, what did you have to do? You had to wait in line. But now we live in a society where everything is on demand. Everything's on demand. I don't know about you, but uh, me and my wife, we get, we, we, sometimes we enjoy the guilty pleasure of binging on Netflix. And what we do, we don't ever watch something if it's going to be waiting a week. We wait for all the whole season to download. Okay, I'm not the only one. We wait for the whole season to download, so if it's a rainy day, we'll watch... It's, this sounds so bad. We'll watch eight hours of a show. We'll get through a whole season in a day. And I think a lot of us are that way. But we apply that to all of our life, not just parts of a life. But what has God called us to be? You see, impatience 
is a fruit of the flesh. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. If we look at Galatians 5.22, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Oh, I skipped the most important one, didn't I? <laughs> peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the Holy Spirit is producing that. So it calls it a fruit of the Spirit and not a gift of the Spirit. Because a gift of the Spirit, what happens with that? You just what? Receive it. A fruit of the Spirit has to do what? It has to grow. It has to mature. It has to ripen. It isn't something that you become a believer and now you're automatically patient. No, it does not work that way. Also, um, well, better yet, the Greek word for patience means long-fused, slow to anger. That's what the word means. So, you know, there's times where, like the, the tire example that I used, inside, I was angry. I was impatient, even if it didn't show on the outside. So God also, the other thing I want to say is, you know, we're being conditioned by, by, by culture to be impatient, but then we also have to look at... Um, what, what God is calling us to be by who God is. And if we look at 2 Peter 3.9, it says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So patience is a fruit of the Spirit, and patience by the ultimate standard we could look at, which is God and Jesus Christ, is what they are. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we could all say that we're not very patient. I mean, I'll tell you, my mother, I've got three brothers, and my mother always tells me that I'm the most patient one, but I probably would have a hard time getting my wife to say that, or my sons to say that, or anyone else. Because all of us, I think, struggle with this thing called patience. <clears throat> Today's verses from um, James are going to help us understand how to develop patience and how to wait well. And before we dive into the verses, I just want to, from a big view, the first part when they talk about the farmers, it talks about waiting for something that you want when you don't have it. And then the second part, when they talk about the prophets in Job, it talks about waiting for something to leave or depart from you that you don't want. So I think everyone in the room can say that they're waiting on one of those two things. And most of us are probably waiting on both of them. We've got things that we're waiting that we want, and then we're waiting for some things to leave us that we don't want. But why is it so important to be patient? James 1, 2, and 4 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wow. Let me read that again. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles come your way, how do you view it? Do you say, wow, this is such a great opportunity? 
I don't think many of us do it. We grumble, we complain, we woes me, God, why me? I'm looking at that person or that person and they're not struggling with it. I'm being good. And why is this happening to me? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, there are two gifts of the Holy Spirit that require the prerequisite of time, faithfulness and patience. You can't tell if someone's faithful unless they do it over time. The only way you can be patient is to endure over a period of time. There are two things that have to be grown into us. Also, patience is developed over time, and I'm going to use another example here. Who loves Thanksgiving? I'll tell you what, Thanksgiving is probably, I love food, and Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday. I absolutely love it. Uh, We as a family, we all get together. We got like 20-some people in the house, and we start cooking like 8 o'clock in the morning, and you can smell the ham and the collards and the turkey and all those those aromas are in the house and it's, your mouth is watering and it gets to like 12 o'clock when all that stuff is, that, that aroma is thick in the place, but you're still waiting. And then we eat at about three or four o'clock, but oh my goodness, it is worth the wait. It is the best meal in the world. And I think most of us have memories of that, whether they're recent memories or distant memories. But is it the same if you go through a drive through See, most of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we want Thanksgiving satisfaction with drive-through expediency. That's what most of us want. (laughs) And then we also have to look at God's desire. What does he want from us in being patient? I'll tell you, a lot of us get the wrong message, the wrong idea about Christianity. I'm going to get saved, and I'm going to have a life of ease, comfort, and pleasure. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Because God's less concerned about your happiness, and he's much more concerned about your holiness. He's much less concerned about your circumstances, and he's much more concerned about your character. He's much less concerned with what's happening to you than what's happening in you. And that's why patience is so, so important. So I'm going to give you a few points on how to wait well. The first is to wait like the farmer and trust in God's timing. And this is such an important point. Trust in God's timing because God's timing is always perfect. See, we struggle when we don't get things when we want them. We get on a job, we're working it for four or five months, and we think we should get the promotion. We need to get the raise. And when we don't, we get discouraged, we become disgruntled, and then we go off to another job and we do that all over again. Or relationships. We rush into relationships, ready to find a husband or wife. You see all the red flags, but you ignore them, but you're being impatient, so you push right through it. And then you're wondering, you know, a couple years later, why is everything wrecked up? It's because you were impatient. See, what we have to understand is this. God's delays are not God's denials. Let me say that again. God's delays are not God's denials. He'll make you wait. 
He will make you wait. I think the word is very clear that he'll make you wait. And, and as I'm looking through scripture, and there's probably some folks that are in here that maybe you can give me an example, but I can't think of an example where God didn't make his people wait. Noah, when he was given the command to build the ark, had to, and, and, and believe me, at that time, it had never rain, rained upon the earth. So you know everyone was clowning him big time. What are you doing, Noah? What, what are you thinking? Rain's going to come here? Water's going to come? What is rain? He had to wait 120 years before it rained. Joseph had to wait 20 years from the time he had the dream of his brothers bowing down until he was in Egypt and his brothers bowed down to him because they were going through a famine and he was able to save the family. David was anointed by Samuel as the king when he was an early teenager to have to wait until he was 30 years old, old to be appointed the king. And then the best example of all is Jesus. 30 years of preparation. 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry, for three hours of purpose on a cross. Get that now. 30 years preparing for three years of work, for three hours of, of, of purpose. And that's Jesus himself. Some of you may say, how about Saul when he turned into Paul in the Damascus Road experience? Because we always, I mean, I've always thought of the Damascus Road experience. This guy, in an instant, was completely and utterly changed. And yes, that, that's true. He was changed. But he still had to wait. Because after that experience, he had to learn for three years from Jesus himself. Three years. And this is someone that knew the Bible, probably the, the old Bible, the Old Testament, better than anybody. So waiting is something we all have to do. But we can become impatient in the waiting. And, we, and when God isn't working in our timing, we kind of try to force fit things. Abraham and Sarah. God promised to Abraham he would be the father of many nations. But he was an old man. And his wife was an old woman. I mean, well, we got kids in here, so I'm not going to go there. We got kids in here. So old man, old woman, and, and you know, it's like, God, how is this going to happen? Physically, this is not possible. So they waited 11 years. And we sometimes, I think, we're a little hard on Sarah. And we say, why, why was she so impatient? But as an old lady, she waited 11 years, and she gave her servant to Abraham to sleep with. Now, how many women in here would do that for your husbands? <laughs> My wife would probably smack me at the very idea. So, but, but, so he sleeps with this lady, and her name was Hagar. And Hagar had Ishmael. Ishmael is commonly known as what? The father of the, and the Islamic faith. Okay? So what's happening today? We see a lot of conflict between Islamic faith and other Juda Jews and the Christians. So because they weren't willing to wait, we are suffering from that even today. So the promise was finally delivered, but it was 14 years after Ishmael was born that Sarah had a child, and that child's name was Isaac. And I just want to say this. When we work outside of God's plans, the promise 
may be delivered, but there are going to be consequences and complications. And that's exactly what happened in this case. When we work outside of God's plans, there's, there's a mess to clean up. See, most of us have the full confidence in God's attention, intentions. We all can say it. God is a good God. God is, he's looking out for the best in me. But do we trust his timing as much as we trust his intentions? Do we trust his timing as much as we trust his intentions? Can we trust that God will be a right on-time God? In spite of the circumstances, in spite of how bad things may look, in spite of the diagnosis that you may have received, instead of, instead of you know, thinking that that thing that you're praying for will never happen because you've been praying for it for years, some of us for decades, for that lost child to return back to you, for that addiction and that desire that you may have to go away, been praying and praying and praying, and it doesn't go away. And we can get to a place where we don't think God's there. We become discouraged, and then we become, begin to doubt. So the first point again with waiting well is we have to do what? Trust in God's timing. The second point I'd like to make to you is this. If you, you need to wait like a farmer and you need to wait, work in the waiting with eager anticipation. Work in the waiting with eager anticipation. So a farmer, they put the seeds in the ground, right? Do they go on a vacation to Cancun for three months after? No, they're still working. They're feeding, they're, they're, they're weeding, they're doing more seeding, and they're preparing for the harvest, so it's, it's, it's not a time to just do nothing. God wants us to be active in the process. But waiting is also being prayerful. Waiting is also being attuned to the Holy Spirit and, and what he says to you, what's the next step that you should take as well. So you have to work in the waiting. We also have to wait with eager expectations. So Eager and anxious are very different words, aren't they? Right? And I think there's probably more of us in here when we're waiting for something, we're more anxious than eager. See, anxious waiting is, oh, this could go wrong, that could go wrong, this will never happen, woe's me. Whereas eager is, in spite of the circumstances around me, I trust in God and I trust in what he'll do and it's going to be something good in the end. That's the difference between the two. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. See, there's a tension that exists in all this. We've got this longing, this desire within us, this groaning inside of us for something. But then on the outside, we see no evidence of that thing happening. But then we know that there's a good God. And when that desire lines up with the will of God, there, there, it may seem like they're two separate things. And it's really, you've got to manage the tension between those two things. You've got to manage the tension of that, that, that desire, that longing, and that God's a good God. And it can be hard. 
And a lot of times what we do is we just default to praying things like, God, if it's your will. And we've all prayed that prayer. God, if it's your will. But we have to do that after wrestling with God for a while. Because he's comfortable with that. We have to wrestle with the fact that we want this thing and we don't see evidence of it and that God's a good God. And then after that match, after that wrestling match, then we get to that place where we say, God, let your will be done. See, our hope is also not just in what God can provide. Our hope is in God himself. Our hope is in God himself. That's what our hope is in. So the, the, the last point I'd like to make on how to wait well is not a positive command, but it's a negative command. And that is don't grumble or complain. Isn't it our nature? When things ain't going our way, what do we do? We go looking for somebody. We go looking for somebody that'll listen to our complaints. When someone doesn't want to hear, we're like, I'll just go to the next person. I mean, I think all of us are that way. It is, that's our very fleshly nature. But there's a reason we don't grumble and complain. And that is, that reveals what's inside of you. Many people have said this, uh, fake it till you make it, smile and you'll feel good after a while. Have you guys heard that? Even when you're sad? Well, you know what? With grumbling and complaining, this really applies. Because one of the things is, the more you grumble and complain, the more you want to grumble and complain. And that's just the way it is. So an example of uh, a group of folks that grumbled and complained is the Israelites. So the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt in a miraculous fashion. They get out into the desert, and what do they do? Grumble and complain. Grumble and complain so much that it took 40 years to complete an 11-day journey. 40 years. And there's many of us that are in that same situation. We're, we're going around the same tree over that same mountain over and over again because we haven't learned the lesson to truly wait on God and to understand that waiting and developing the patience is one of the things that he wants. You see... God's promise, God's promise is delivered in the process. And the process requires patience. God's promise is delivered in the process, and the process requires patience. And you may be saying to yourself, but what I'm going through is so hard. It's so difficult. I can't bear it. I can't bear it. Well, there's a a person that uh, these verses talk about that I want to talk about for a while, and that's Job. So the patience of Job, I think most of us have heard that term at one time or another. <clears throat> we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So Job was a blameless man. By all people's accounts, blameless. 
He was blessed. He would be like uh, Bill Gates today. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 500 female donkeys, many servants, seven sons, three beautiful daughters. Well, Satan had an audience with God in heaven. And uh, Satan, God asked him, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan told God, he said, the only reason that Job doesn't curse you is because you have a hand of protection on his life. Take, take that hand off of him and he will curse you to your face. And God said, test him, but don't touch his body. Test him, but don't touch his body. Very soon after, Job went from blameless, blessed to bankrupt because he lost everything. He lost all the sheep, all the oxen, all the female donkeys. Everything was wiped out. Imagine today if your whole savings accounts, your 401k, your car, your house, if you lost it all, where would you be? Where would you be? But Job, he was a blameless man. He was, he, was very, he was very righteous. And even though he was bankrupt, he looked not at what he didn't have, he looked at what he had. He said, I still have my seven sons and my three beautiful daughters. I'll marry off my three beautiful daughters and I'll put my seven sons to work. But that very night, that very night, and this has always perplexed me because they were having a party. Their dad just lost everything. And they were having a party, drinking wine at, one, at a house. And the wind came and it blew the whole house down and killed all of his sons and daughters. So now we went from blameless and blessed, bankrupt and bereaving, grieving the loss of all his kids. And his wife wasn't much help because a wife is a good thing. But... His wife told him, why don't you just curse God and die? Who else said that? Satan. See, sometimes people that are really close to you in your life will give you some advice that you really have to understand where it's coming from. Okay? I mean, you may be going through a situation right now with your marriage and someone's telling you, oh, you need to divorce him. You need to divorce her. Consider the advice and then compare it to God's word before you make a decision. So Satan goes back up to heaven, sees God, and you know, God's probably feeling pretty good at this moment. He's like, you know what? My boy Job is standing strong. He hasn't backed down. He hasn't cursed me. But then Satan says, touch his body and he will curse you. So in an instant, his body was completely covered with boils, festering boils, pus coming out, pain. It was so bad, he went to the local junkyard and picked up a piece of pottery to scrape it off. And he found no relief. And in all that, he did not curse God. He remained faithful and strong. And then three friends came along, 
In the fir at first, they were great. They sat with him in his misery, which is the best thing we can do sometimes. We ain't got to say something. We ain't got to try to figure it out because in this situation, there was no natural explanation. They sat with him. But then when they opened their mouth, things got bad quick because they started suggesting and accusing him of having some hidden sin. But Job stayed strong. Job 13, 15 says this, and I love this verse. It says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. No matter what situation you're going through right now, it may feel like God has beaten you. Your circumstances are wearing you down. You can't take it anymore. But he said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? I look at Job and I wonder, could I stand up to that? Could I persevere in that situation? The lesson of the story of Job is this, and I'm going to read this verbatim because I don't want to mess this up. The problem of human suffering and God's involvement in the pain of the world is always with us. Efforts to find the cause of suffering often lead one, as Job and his counselors, to put blame somewhere. We always want to find a cause and effect. And sometimes the cause and effect is not a natural cause and effect because there's, there's, there's a supernatural world that is much more real, real than the world that we live in. Put the blame somewhere on self, others, God, or Satan. The book of Job asks us to look beyond blame, accept ambiguity and uncertainty, and trust God for what we cannot see or control. Can we trust God in the things that we, don't see, we can't see and can't control? See, waiting requires us to have trust and faith in God. <clears throat> see, hard times are going to come on everyone. Every, if you're not going through a hard time, you just went through one or you're about to go through one, they're going to go on, they're going to happen to every single person that's here. And I'd like to just give you an illustration. If you've got a pot of boiling water, and that could be that adversity, that could be the hard time. If I placed an egg into that boiling water for a certain period of time, what's going to happen to that egg? It's going to become what? It's going to become hard, Right? If I put a potato into that boiling water, after a certain amount of time, what's going to happen to that potato? It's going to become soft. If I put coffee beans in that water, what's going to happen? You're going to get coffee. Yes, it changes the water. It changes the water. See, many of us are like the egg, and life has been hard. We've been disappointed time and time again disillusioned, and we've gotten to a place where we put this veneer, we put this mask on, and we don't any, want anyone to see the real us because we're protecting ourselves. We don't want to be hurt. We, don't, we, we can't even be real and open with our spouse because we're fearful that they may use that as ammunition against us. And that's a lot of us here in this room. Some of us also or like the potato, and you've had traumas and bad experiences in your past, maybe in your childhood or a past relationship, and your lens that you see the world is through that, and now you're seeing bad things where there isn't bad things. 
because it's shaped your perspective. But, some, but, but be, be in the coffee bean. Be in the coffee bean. Be in the bean is this. It's changing your environment because it's really about what's inside of you that's being released. Are you going to let the quality of your circumstances control your life or are you going to let your life control the quality of your circumstances? That's really what it's about. And if you really want to make good coffee, what do you do to those beans? What's that? Grind them. You crush them, right? You grind them things. And what is that? Earlier we talked about adversity. Adversity is the thing that crushes us, that grinds us, that releases the power of the Spirit in our lives. See, your life, like the coffee bean, is determined more by what's inside of you than what circumstances you're facing of our own power, of my own power. I'm not strong enough to keep circumstances from breaking me down. Whether it's a, you've been going through, and I'll, there's someone that I love that went through a legal battle for three and a half years. <clears throat> and, uh, I watched this man go from being confident, being self-assured, to someone that had to take antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, sleeping pills to even find rest at night. And that's what circumstances can do to us when we don't have the power of God inside of us. That's what happens. None of us is strong enough. See, Job, in, Job the, in the book of Job, last chapter, uh, not last chapter, in chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, it says this. God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there was a mediator between us, and we have a mediator, and that mediator is Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. We have the mediator. The mediator could make God stop beating me and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. I cannot do that in my own strength. You see, we have two things that Job did not have. We have Jesus Christ as our mediator, our advocate, and we have a Holy Spirit that resides within us that no matter what trials, no matter what tribulations we're going through, he can give us comfort and peace in the storm. You see, we're not called to bring calm to the storm. We're called to be calm in the storm. And that's what we all have to understand. We think we're going to change things. We may not change the circumstances. But who are you going to be inside of those circumstances? Because part of being the bean is this. You change the environment because as you're going through things, people are watching you. People are watching you. Are they watching you be like that egg or the potato? Or are they seeing you standing strong and releasing what's inside of you? What are you going to do? <clears throat> At LifeHouse, our vision statement is this. We exist to invite all people 
to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. See, living an uncommon life is being the coffee bean. Living an uncommon life is being the coffee bean. It's when we understand that we need to be the salt of the earth, when we understand when we go to dark places, especially when we go to dark places, we need to be the light. You know, some of us, wherever you are, you may need to stay away from dark places. But there's others of you that have been in the faith for a while. You need to be bold and step into those dark places to be the light. Because where do you need light more? You need light in the darkness. When we opened up this sermon, we talked about 2 Peter 3.9. Don, can you put that up there again? And it reads this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. So the Lord is being patient about his promise. And his promise is to be reconciled to him. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So we have a father very much like the father of the prodigal son that is waiting for the son to return home. If you don't know the story, the prodigal son wanted his inheritance early. He didn't want to wait for his father to die. He wanted it while he was young so he could go party it up and have a great time. And he did that. A lot of alcohol, a lot of cheap women. He spent everything up, all of it, all of it. He found himself in a pigsty and he thought to himself, the servants in my father's house are living better than me. And I could imagine the shame that he felt. I could imagine that, that he didn't want to come back. But he didn't really have much, many options outside of that. And as he came back to the house, and he's probably thinking to himself, man, I'm going to hear it. I'm going to hear it. It's going to be, I told you so. You shouldn't have done this which is probably something a lot of us as natural fathers would do, but not the father of the prodigal son. He was in the field looking for him, waiting for him. And when he saw his son, he ran to him with arms wide open. And back in the culture of that time, it was undignified for a man of his status to run. He became undignified because he saw his lost son. And that is what God is saying to some of you guys right now. I don't care what you did. I don't care. Some of you are holding on to things that you've done in the past, thinking that you're not good enough. But God is saying, come back. God is saying, come back. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.